Well, a circle. We have just a simple circle on the screen. And when you see this shape, what comes to mind? For some of you, you may be thinking of peace or tranquility. Uh, maybe you see a head or a bouncing ball. Maybe you see a hole. Those of you who are more mathematically inclined, you might think back to geometry and circles and hexagons and whatnot. You might think of algebraic equations with pi. Now, I also am thinking of pie, but I'm thinking of apple streusel pie because Baby Stein and I are always hungry. But irregardless, circles, they're fairly simple shapes, but they hold a lot of meaning. And the possibilities of what this could be are as limitless as our creativity. But I'll tell you what I see when I see this circle. I see a boundary line. I see a marker. I see division between what is inside the circle and what is outside the circle. You see, to be inside the circle is to be included, to be known, to be welcomed, to be accepted, to be an insider. And to be outside the circle is to be excluded, rejected, unwelcomed, and far away. And don't we all know what it's like to be an outsider? Perhaps it's that family joke going around at Thanksgiving that you're like, I just don't get this inside joke. Or you're scrolling through Facebook and you see that friends had a dinner party and there are the photos and it looks beautiful and delicious, but you weren't invited. Or maybe you find out there was an important company meeting that you weren't invited to. Or perhaps you've just moved to a brand new neighborhood and you see neighborhood gatherings and no one bothers to come and knock on your door and welcome you into the neighborhood, into the circle. You see, most of us on a daily basis probably vacillate somewhere between being an insider and an outsider, between being known and unknown. And one of the characters that we'll encounter in today's story has the same experience. He knows what it's like to be an outsider. But you see, this story has good news because the eunuch receives the good news of Christ. And he learns that the gospel is good news for all people and to all people. And so that's exactly what we're going to study today. We're gonna to study circles and outsiders and insiders and the theology of a circle. Who would have guessed that God views circles differently? And what do those circles mean for us in our day-to-day, -day, everyday, ordinary lives? So if you'll remember last week, Sissy powerfully preached to us about Stephen in Acts 7. We see that he was an early leader of the church. He was falsely accused. He was stoned to death. And like Christ, he was able to forgive his executors and give his spirit to the Lord before he passed. It was a hard moment for the early church. But I'm excited to say that the story gets better. And so if you'll pick up your Bibles with me, we're going to study Acts uh, chapter 8 today, and we're going to begin with 1 through 4, because this sets the context for today's story about circles. So beginning in verse 1, and Saul approved of their killing him, that him being Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the disciples were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. 
And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So there's two quick things I want to draw your attention to. First, remember, remember that we're memorizing what verse this semester? 1-8, perfect. You have your bookmarks. And who knows why we're memorizing it? We're memorizing it because not only is it the theme verse of Acts, but because it's the outline of Acts. And Acts 8.1 serves as the hinge between these two uh, sections, if you will. Because in chapters 1 through 7, we've seen the church go to Jerusalem. We're seeing the church planted and expand. And then 8.1 switches our focus. And we now see the gospel being expanded to Judea and Samaria. We see Christ's words coming to fulfillment as the gospel spreads out. And so it's an important verse because it outlines where the early church is going. But second, notice why is the gospel expanding to new areas? It's expanding because of the persecution of Hellenistic Christians by Saul and others. You see, the Hellenists flee Jerusalem and they go to Judea and Samaria. But they're not in witness protection. They're not hiding while they're there. They're not trying to remain low and unseen. They're boldly preaching the word wherever they went everywhere in their everyday ordinary lives. They're preaching the gospel despite threat of persecution. And one such disciple was Philip. He preached all throughout Samaria. He returned to Jerusalem. And then God had a very unique and divine mission that he sent him on. Which brings us to today's passage. And I love Luke because he's a master storyteller. And he divides the scene of Philip and the eunuch in three really concrete and distinct sections. In the first section, we see two characters. We see Philip and the eunuch. In the second section, we see their dialogue, what the problem is, and how the Lord might resolve this problem. And then in the third section, we see how they choose to respond in light of who God is and what he is calling them to. So let's get started. Scene 1, verse 26. Luke writes, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And it's amazing all that Luke's packs into three short verses about these characters. So character one is Philip. We've already been introduced to him. And I like to think that if he lived in modern times, his resume would fit nicely and neatly on LinkedIn. And this is what it would say. Disciple, who was with Jesus since the beginning of his ministry. Check. Hellenistic Jew. Check. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Check. Aren't we feeling good about ourselves? Powerful preacher. Performer of signs and wonders. Deacon of First Jerusalem Church. That's impressive. Um, he's unafraid of persecution. Oh, and look. He has several local business endorsements from Samaria, including Simon of Simon's Magic Company. Very interesting. <laughs> and then we have character two. The eunuch. And since we don't know his name, it's a little harder to search for him in LinkedIn, so we type in his name, and then we just get that blank gray circle with the question mark. He's not listed. Who is this man? 
but because you're a savvy Bible student and you know how to use commentaries and use your online resources, you Google a little bit and you come up with his cultural background, which gives you a bit of insight into who he was. And this is what you discover. In ancient times, eunuchs were men who were forcibly castrated at a young age for the purposes of being in servitude to ruling authorities. And it was often thought that because they were castrated, therefore they were more loyal and trustworthy when they served their rulers. And so they were often put in charge of the treasury, the ruler's finances, or the harem, the ruler's uh, concubines, if you will. So, not a great background, but we're learning about him. And then we look at Luke, at what Luke says to us about the eunuch. And so you can create a fairly accurate profile of who he would be, although I'll warn you, it would probably be censored on LinkedIn. So let's take a look. Name, unknown, parentheses, castrated male. That's his most defining characteristic. We don't know his name, we just know his social status. We know that he's minister of finance, in service to the queen mother. He's a citizen of the Nubian Empire, which is modern day Sudan. He's hungry for God, he's a world traveler. And oh look, he enjoys long chariot rides to First Jerusalem Church. Interesting. But in all seriousness, I wanna draw your attention to verse 27, where Luke tells us that the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He had gone to worship. And ladies, to travel from the capital of the Nubian Empire, which was south of Egypt, to Jerusalem was a rough and a difficult and a dangerous journey by chariot that took five months each way. Five months. And so we have a map here for you. And you can see that he starts out, Moreau is the capital of the Nubian Empire. You can see he starts out really far south. He goes up. He goes around the peninsula and then up into Jerusalem, five months through the desert. And friends, this is really convicting to me because probably most of us drive anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes at most to church. And if we encounter traffic, we legitimately think that's a hardship. But this man rode for five months simply to worship God in the temple, to get close to God. And he read scripture as he went. So I think it's safe to assume that this man had a hunger for God. He had a heart for God. He wanted to know more. He was searching for something. But you know, despite all this, despite his hunger, despite his faithfulness to travel and go to Jerusalem, despite his personal sacrifice, he was still considered an outsider. There were insiders inside that circle of acceptance, and there were outsiders. And as a eunuch, as a Gentile foreigner, as someone from a foreign land, he was forever to remain an outsider in the Jewish faith. So scene one closes. We've now been introduced to the two characters. And Luke, <clears throat> excuse me, proceeds to scene two, where we pick up on the discussion between Philip and the eunuch. So look with me at verse 29. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter 
And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is this prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So first notice the problem that Luke presents us with. The eunuch is hungry for God, but he is both physically and spiritually far from God. He cannot reach God. And haven't we all been there? Haven't we all been longing? Haven't we been crying out and saying, Lord, where are you? Draw near to me. And yet, despite faithfulness and perseverance and pursuing the Lord, he seems just out of reach. Just out of reach. Perhaps you prayed for healing, but a loved one still remains ill. God, do you care? Do you have the power to heal? Or maybe you diligently read scripture and you pray about a major life decision coming up and God seems silent. God, do you hear me? Or perhaps you struggle with depression and you've cried out for relief, for the peace and comfort that passes all understanding. And yet you don't feel anything. You're still suffering. You're still in pain. God, are you with me? You see, spiritually, the eunuch was hungry to know the God of the scriptures, but because he was a fo in from a foreign land, he had no one to explain the scriptures to him. The eunuch was physically without a guide, and the scriptures were the words of God that were confusing to him. He didn't know what he was reading. So he's spiritually far from God, but then he's also physically far from God because the eunuch was limited from fully entering into the temple and interacting with the larger social body of believers. Why? Because in Deuteronomy 23.1, it says, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. Or to put it more bluntly, no pun intended, no eunuch is to enter the congregation of God. Think about that. The eunuch travels five months each way to Jerusalem simply to be in the presence of God. But he gets there and he has to remain outside. He's close to God and yet he's far away. Now I know it sounds strange to us today because we're used to convenience and ease. We're used to simply zipping into the parking lot five minutes before the church service starts. We have our pumpkin spice latte in hand and we don't just encounter walls or doors. We actually have people smiling and opening the door and saying, welcome, we're so glad you're here. But that was not the experience of the eunuch. He arrives and everywhere he looks, he sees wall, 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 wall. You see, we are not limited in how we can show up to worship the Lord, but he was limited in how he could show up. You see, as a Gentile and a eunuch, he would have been limited to the Gentile's courtyard. Yes, he could physically enter the, temp enter the Temple Mount property, but because of his physical and ethnic and social status, those were barriers and they kept him far from God. And I wonder, was he disappointed I know I would have been. He had traveled all this way to find the one true God, to know him more, and all he saw were these concentric circles of conditional acceptance that defined who the outsiders were 
and who the insiders were. And so let's take a closer look at what the temple would have looked like. In the first century, if you were a Gentile, you could enter the Temple Mount. And so you could go through the large outer gates and enter what's called the Gentiles' courtyard. And that's where the eunuch would have worshipped. Now let's go to our next slide. If you were a Jewish woman, you could go a bit further inside. And now we're at the right part of the courtyard. Now, if you were blessed to be a Jewish male, you could go inside further to the Israelites' courtyard. And then if you were a priest, you could go a little bit further to the priest's courtyard. And then if you were one of the priests chosen by lot, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to serve in the holy place, you could go one step further. And then the high priest, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, could go past the veil, enter into the Holy of Holies, and fully experience the tangible and living presence of God. Ladies, these are six concentric circles of conditional acceptance. There's walls, 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 walls. Everywhere you go, defining who is in and who is out. And the penalty for trespassing beyond your appropriate courtyard was death. Was death. And to me, this is all overwhelming and discouraging because I think about if you and I had lived in the first century, where would we have worshipped? Where would we have stood? If you'll go back to the previous slide, we would have stood on the outside, in the Gentiles' courtyard. Unless you're of Jewish descent, and then you would have been blessed to go one step further. But you and I and the eunuch would have stood in the court of the Gentiles, and there we would have been forever stuck so close to the fullness of God's presence, and yet limited by barriers that prevented us from knowing him more fully. And I want to pause there and think for a moment about those in our own lives who we deem to be outsiders. Who are those in your own life who are outside the circles of acceptance? Go ahead and picture him or her or those people in your mind. If they had lived in the first century, where would they have worshipped? Where would they have stood in the temple? Most likely, unless you're thinking of a Jewish male, they would have stood right beside you. Stuck in the court of Gentiles, so close to knowing God more fully, and yet prevented by barriers. And when I think about it that way, I realize that these outsiders and I were not so different after all. Because we're all actually standing in the same exact place. Prevented from knowing God more fully. And aren't we all searching for good news? And whether we know it or not, outside of Jesus, we will be forever disappointed. Which is why we must be reminded that the gospel is good news for all people and to all people. So whether disappointed or just grateful, we're not quite sure. The eunuch begins his arduous journey home, the five-month journey back through the desert. And deprived of podcasts and Kindle books and Audible and music, he does what we all do. He pulls out his heavy papyrus scroll and begins reading Isaiah. Wait, you don't do that? I'll admit I don't, but in all fairness, whenever we're on a long car trip, 
I fell asleep within 30 minutes in the passenger seat. And, you know, then Jason is left to boredom and silence for a long period of time. But I'm just fine. And I once woke up and I was like, why are there goldfish all over the floorboard? Well, out of desperation, he'd created a new game called Toss Goldfish in Tiffany's Mouth While She Sleeps. <laughs> but, you know, he's not a good shot, so he didn't make any of them. But anyway, that's our traveling experience, but I digress. So back to the journey at hand. The eunuch is reading Isaiah 53, but he doesn't understand what he's reading so what does God do for the eunuch, for the man who has come to the temple seeking God, but has not yet fully encountered him? According to his divine and good love, God physically sends the good news to the eunuch where he is. He meets him right where he is. And notice that Luke is careful to include a very crucial detail in his account. Back in verse 26, he wrote that the Philip and the eunuch met on a desert road. You know, in the desert, most of us don't expect to find life. We don't expect to find flourishing. We expect it to be barren and desolate. He had traveled to the temple to meet God, and he left disappointed. And yet here is God meeting him on the desert road, working outside his expectations, literally providing him with life in a landscape that seemed barren. And sisters, that's what our God does. God meets us where we are because we can't get to God because we can't break through those walls. God came to us. And God is in the business of bringing near those who were far off, of bringing life to desolate places. And do you know what? So often we think of God as being encountered in cities and highways. But what if God wants to meet us in the ordinary dirt roads of our everyday life? What if he wants to surprise us there? Makes you think, doesn't it? Verse 35 reads, Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now it's not by chance that the eunuch is reading Isaiah 53 verses 7 through 8, which describes the kind of death that Jesus did or would and did suffer. Think back to the temple that the eunuch had just experienced. Six concentric circles of conditional acceptance. Walls, rules, practices, all saying God and man are separated as a result of sin. And yet, what is Isaiah saying? N.T. Wright describes it this way. Isaiah saw the figure of a servant, one who would complete Israel's task, who would come to where Israel was to do for Israel and the whole world what neither could do for themselves, to bear in his own body the shame and the reproach of the nations and of God's people and to die under the weight of the world's wickedness. Only so, he perceived, could the promises be fulfilled. Isaiah was writing a kind of job description. This is what we want. This is what we want, Isaiah cries out. We want a savior. We want someone who can break through the walls that separate us from you. We've tried to pass those barriers and we can't. We cannot get to you. God, come to us. Redeem us. Reconcile us. Bring us back to you. And so Philip explains Isaiah 53 to the eunuch, not as a promise of future salvation, but as salvation already secured. I'd like you to close your eyes and imagine that you're the eunuch 
and you're hearing this passage for the first time in light of Jesus. It's Isaiah 53, verses 1 and 3 through 5, and we're going to read it in the message so that it sounds a little different to our ears. Who believes what we've seen and heard? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? He, was, he, being Jesus, was looked down on and passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him. We thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements and all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. Open your eyes. Do you feel the hope? Do you feel the sense of excitement and expectation and that a burden has been lifted? The wonder that God came down and saved him from his sins. Praise God. But I wonder if the eunuch had some sort of little nagging sense in him of something that was still missing. I'm still not physically whole. I'm still without family. I'm still an outsider. God, what about the circles? Who am I in light of you? And since the eunuch was reading from that heavy scroll that you had to carefully unfurl, it's very plausible that both Isaiah 53 and 56 were visible at the same time as he held that scroll. And so most scholars think that Philip also explained Isaiah 56 to the eunuch. And verses three through five read, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I was only a dry tree, for this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name. Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And sisters, it brings me to tears to think about this man who had lived his entire life marginalized and carrying social stigma, not just in the Jewish culture, but in his own because to be a eunuch was, was not respected. And for the first time in his life, he has seen those walls being torn down. Instead of being an outsider, the eunuch is now part of the family of God. Instead of lacking family, he is welcomed into the family. Instead of having his name cut off, the eunuch is now given a new name. And he is invited fully into the temple, to the presence of God. You see, Isaiah 53 is good news for all, but Isaiah 56 is personal good news for the eunuch. It's restoration. It's wholeness of the gospel. And as we'll see in scene three of this passage, this story about Philip and the eunuch and the desert road is still relevant and it has something to say to us today. Because the appropriate response to receiving the good news of Jesus is worship and obedience and mission. Because the gospel is for all people and it's to all people. So scene three, the response. Picking up in verse 36. 
As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching his gospel, I'm sorry, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So how did the, God, how did the eunuch respond to the good news of Jesus? With obedience and with rejoicing. In obedience to his understanding of the gospel, we can assume that he professed faith in Christ and then he immediately sought to be baptized. And when the eunuch asks, what can hinder or stand in the way of my being baptized? It's as if he finally understands that nothing, not walls, not circles of acceptance, nothing can separate him from God. And J.B. Polhill, a scholar, writes that the use of the verb to hinder indicates that the barriers have been removed, hindrances to the, gospel, to the spread of the gospel to all people, in this case, a double barrier of both physical and racial prejudice have fallen. A eunuch, a Gentile, a black, was baptized and received into full membership and the people of Jesus Christ. In other words, this passage challenges our perceptions of who the insiders are and who the outsiders are, because in God's kingdom, all are welcome. There are no longer concentric circles of conditional acceptance. The dividing line is simply faith in Jesus. And so the good news is for all people. But you see, the gospel is also good news to all people. Notice that verse 39 says that the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. And rejoicing is the appropriate response to a divine encounter with God. Because we are no longer the same people we were before Christ. We are a new creation. And out of thankfulness, out of gratitude, out of worship, out of the inclusion in the family of God, the fact that we are now insiders, we want to share that good news that we've received with others. And now while we don't hear about the eunuch anymore in the Bible, tradition tells us that he went back home to his own native country and was the first evangelist. Think about that. He was uniquely positioned to share the good news of Christ with the Nubian Empire at that time. He was a missionary disciple who used his influence and his position and his power to point others to Christ. And it makes me think, what are the spaces and the places and the positions that God has given to each of us uniquely? Are we using those platforms to point others to Christ? Are we eager to share the reason for our hope with others? Are we on mission for God? We know Philip was. Now, Philip isn't the character who has the dramatic conversion experience, but he's still a very important character because his life also speaks to the fact that receivers of the good news are to be bearers of the good news. Receivers of the good news are to be bearers of the good news. We see Philip's eagerness to obey God. He's obedient to the angel who sends him down that desert road. He's obedient to the spirit who directs him to go to the chariot. And notice he doesn't just walk. He runs to the chariot. When is the last time you or I ran in obedience to something to which God called us? 
I have to be honest, all too often I slow walk and sometimes I crawl and it's convicting. And notice that Philip also eagerly embraced those that were unlike him, that some might consider him to be an insider and and the eunuch to be an outsider. And he wasn't fearful or standoffish and exclusive when he interacted with the Samaritans and with the eunuch. As someone who had personally witnessed the breaking down of barriers in the kingdom of God, he was prepared and willing to share the gospel at all times and in all places. He was on mission. Which brings us to you and me today. If the gospel is the good news for all people and to all people, and it is, then what are we doing with that truth? If we genuinely believe that the gospel is for everyone, how does that shape our everyday life? Because here's the hard truth, sisters. As much as we hate to admit it, we are like the eunuch. No, we may not face the same walls or barriers or challenges that he did, but we know what it's like to be one who was far from God and by his grace was brought near. We know what it's like to be reaching and grasping and trying for something, only to be disappointed time and time again. Until one day you heard the good news of Jesus and your life forever changed. You went from being unknown to known, from being marginalized to being accepted, from being dead in your sins to alive in Christ. And friends, if you find yourself today searching and longing for the good news, you don't have to search any longer because it's here and the gospel is very simple. God made something good. We messed it up. Jesus makes it right, and God will one day make all things new. It's that simple. There's no conditions of acceptance required. Simply place your, place your faith in Christ Jesus, and you will be saved. The gospel is good news for all people. Praise God. But I think sometimes we get stuck on the second part. The gospel is good news to all people. Because if we're like the eunuch, then we're also like Philip, and that we're called to bear the good news of the gospel in word and deed. We're called to make disciples. We're called to not just be receivers of the good news, but bearers of the good news as well. We are the sent people of God, and sisters, it's not just our privilege and our honor, it is our mandate. Remember what Jesus told the disciples in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And just as the Spirit guided and empowered Philip to share the gospel, the same Spirit lives inside you and I and guides and empowers us to share the good news of the gospel today. The Spirit is with us as we go. Sisters, the good news of the gospel is for all people and it's to all people. So let's be bearers of the good news and continue the work of breaking down those barriers. Let's pray. Lord, we are just humbled when we think about you coming down and breaking down the walls that divided us from you. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who by his death and resurrection makes reconciliation to you possible. We thank you that the Holy Spirit resides in us and that you are God with us and that you empower and enable us to go forth and to share the gospel and the good news of Christ.
We want to be agents of restoration and of reconciliation. We want to help continue to break down those walls that divide people from you, that divide us from one another. Lord, use us. May we be bearers of the good news. We love you and we ask this in your name. Amen.